Hello, and welcome back to the UFO and Aliens podcast. I'm your host, Rick Black. I hope all is well with you. This is the last episode of 2023. I hope you've enjoyed listening. I have enjoyed doing these podcasts. And I would like to thank you for listening, and I'm going to take a minute to share some stats from my platform. UFO and Aliens podcast has been listened to in 55 countries. The city with the most downloads is Seattle, followed by Los Angeles, New York, Charlotte, and Adelaide, South Australia. My home state didn't even make the top five. The most popular episode is episode eight, UFO Whistleblower, and it wasn't even close. And finally, UFO and Aliens was in the top 25% of all podcasts on the platform for 2023. I didn't start doing this until April, so I think that stat is pretty good. The numbers are growing fast, and I think 2024 is going to be a really good year. I'd like to see this podcast get into the top 10. Thank you for all your interest. Please help me spread the word, and this podcast will explode next year. In this episode, I will be talking about a sighting in Ruwa, Zimbabwe, Africa. Back in episode 11, I covered the Westall school sighting, where just about everyone in the school saw a group of flying saucers flying around, and a few students saw one land. Well, this is another school that had a similar incident, only in Africa, not Australia. And not only did they see flying saucers, they saw the occupants of these flying saucers. At the time that it happened, it wasn't well known. It was more of a local story. Now the way that media is, it's very well known. It is very easy to find a large amount of information on this incident. So what happened? The area in Africa where this happened is farmland the school for the children of the local farmers. There were a few sightings of UFOs a few days before the main sighting at the school. Then, on September 16, 1994, at the Ariel School, while the children were outside, all of the teaching staff were in a meeting. They normally did their meetings during the students' recess. They had prefects, some of the older, more mature students, watching the younger ones. There was one adult outside with the children, but the, that adult was a volunteer parent that was running uh, sort of a snack shop, and she didn't really leave the snack shop area. So she really didn't, wasn't, she wasn't monitoring the students. Now, I don't know how many schools where they send the students outside and the only supervision are going to be the older students. Uh, the school that I'm at, the school, the students have to be supervised at all times. Even when they first get there, they are all taken into the gym or the cafeteria. There are three or four adults at all times watching these kids. I don't know what's going on in Africa. I guess they, they trust that they're going to be okay, especially when you have areas where there's poisonous snakes and other critters out there that could harm the children. I guess it's okay for the other kids to watch. And what just kind of, kind of struck me uh, as being, being very, very odd. So anyway, the teachers are inside in a meeting, staff meeting. The kids are all outside. 
and the students saw lights flashing in the sky. One of the witnesses said the object would flash and then move so fast that you couldn't see it, and then it would flash again about 500 meters away, but it would be a different color. First time it would it would flash like a red color, and then it would shoot across the sky, but you couldn't see it because it was so fast. Then it would shoot, it would it would flash a different color. This happened three times in broad daylight, in the middle of the day, broad daylight. It was 10:15 a.m. All of these students, there were about 62 witnesses, ran to the fence to see what was going on, and the craft started hovering right there in front of them. Then the objects landed about 50 yards from where the children were watching. They landed in an area that was rough ground made up of trees, thorn bushes, and some brown-gray cut grass with bamboo shoots sticking out out of the ground. The children are not allowed in this area, although it is next to their playing field and it's not fenced off because of snakes, spiders, and perhaps other harmful critters. One can soon disappear from view while walking there, and there's only one very rough track used by tractors in an attempt to clear the area. The entities emerged from the craft, and during broad daylight, about 50 yards from where the students were, they, they started walking around. One of the students ran into the school to tell the teachers what was going on outside. The teachers didn't take him seriously and sent him back outside. Then, Another kid went in to tell the teachers what was going on. Same result. Then one of the prefects, one of the older kids, went in to tell the teachers. Finally, one of the teachers went outside to see what all the fuss was about. And this teacher caught a glimpse of the flying saucers as they were taking off. One witness described a small man appearing on top of the object. Another one said they saw an, a humanoid creature walking a little way across the rough ground, then becoming aware of the children and disappearing. He, or someone very much like him, then reappeared at the back of the object. The object took off very rapidly and disappeared. The little man was dressed in tight-fitting black suit, which was shiny, according to one observant girl, 11 years old. He had long, scrawny neck, and huge eyes like rugby balls, and he had pale face with long black hair coming below his shoulders. Other witnesses described the aliens as wearing tight-fitting black uniforms. Their eyes were quite large and black, and their noses and mouths were very small. What is incredible about this experience is that the children, well, some of them, not all the children saw the little men, but some of them claim that they communicated with the children telepathically. That's not how they explained it, of course, but they said that they were told that technology was doing the planet harm and that humans needed to stop and start taking care of the earth, using technology um, in better ways to, to help save the environment. Something to that effect. They were shown images in their minds of the earth with no trees and people not being able to breathe. A week after the event, the school was swarmed with TV crews and reporters, and they even got a visit from John E. Mack, um, the professor of psychology at Harvard Medical School. He spent a large amount of time interviewing the children, one at a time, and asking them about what happened. He concluded that in his opinion, 
the children were all telling the truth about what happened. All of the children were held in isolation and told to draw what they saw on that day. You can actually find these pictures online of what the children drew, and they all drew the exact same thing. They weren't exactly right because there's a bunch of kids drawing and everybody has a different skill level when it comes to drawing, but they all drew the same thing if you look at them. There is a line of electricity pylons, and according to one boy, the object followed along this line prior to landing. There's also some controversy as to whether the object landed on the ground or hovered above it. There were some people that went out there with a Geiger counter, a metal detector, and a magnetometer to try to see if the object left any traces behind. And soil samples were sent to the University of Zimbabwe. No evidence was found of anything unusual. The headmaster of the school, Mr. Colin Mackey, who was most cooperative, and although he had never been involved with UFOs or a believer in them, said that he believed the children had seen what they said they saw. The children, from five to seven years, were very frightened at the time, and ran shouting, help me, help me. When the older children asked why they were saying this, the reply was, he is coming to eat us. I should think this applies more to the black African children who have legend of Tokoloshis eating children. Cynthia Hind, a UFO researcher, submitted this report, and I'm going to read right from her report. Uh, She says, quote, Their teachers were in a meeting and did not come out. When I queried the headmaster about this, he said, The children always shouted and yelled during their playtime. No one thought there was anything unusual going on. The only other adult available at the time was one of the mothers who was running the snack bar. When the children came to call her, she did not believe and would not come out. She said she was not prepared to leave the snack bar with all the food and money. Gunter and the men thoroughly examined the ground around where the children had seen the object, but could get no reaction on the Geiger counter or any other equipment. If the object was hovering, perhaps nothing would show. There was no evidence found on the ground where the craft could have landed. The area was full of thorn bushes and bamboo stumps, and if a craft had landed there, it should have left evidence. End quote. A few days after the event, the school was inundated with calls from parents asking what had happened at the school that made their children so upset. None of the witnesses have changed their stories, even after 25 years. There were some 200 students on the playground that day, but only 62 of them witnessed the UFOs and the aliens. Why didn't more students see the UFOs? Well, according to Salma Siddiq, who was a witness, she says, quote, I think it's possible that more kids saw something but never spoke about it. I also think there are those like my brother and sister who were on the other side of the playground who did not see anything, though I cannot speak to why. I initially thought the area of the playground had something to do with which student saw something, but now I'm not sure that that was a determining factor at all. End quote. Randall Nickerson, another witness, says, quote, The schoolyard at Ariel is huge, and one field is elevated, which would have obscured the view of a lot of students. As for those who were nearby and didn't see it, I'm not sure... What that's about, I really don't know. 
What's interesting is that those who didn't see anything still believe their classmates. End quote. There is some discrepancies about how many entities there were. Some of the students say they saw one, some say they saw two, and three. Some claim that the being was on top of the craft. Some say that it was walking around in the fields. Some reported that it had long hair. Others reported that it had no hair at all. They did all agree where the craft was, that they were spoken to telepathically, and that the craft emitted some kind of light. French skeptic Gilles Fernandez pointed out that in Cynthia Hines' initial interviews with the children, the ecology or environment wasn't even mentioned by the children. However, in John Mack's interview, it was mentioned. Fernandez suggests that Mack was very passionate about the environment and that he may have implanted that in the children and that they were communicated with telepathically. The children all deny that. There are some skeptics that claim that the whole event was mass hysteria. There is no physical evidence to support that this actually happened. So, the case is a clear fabrication from the children's minds. So, so what is mass hysteria? People commonly use the term mass hysteria to describe a rapid spread of panic and fear. But the actual definition is a bit more complex. Experts largely consider mass hysteria a type of conversion disorder or mental health condition that involves physical symptoms prompted by emotional or mental tension. In terms of sociology, it falls into the category of collective behavior, or mostly spontaneous actions of a large group of people who influence each other. Many experts recognize two distinct types, mass anxiety hysteria. This type tends to show up among people who belong to the same close, often isolated group or community. It involves sudden tension and other symptoms of anxiety, which spread and resolve fairly quickly. Then the other is mass motor hysteria. This type tends to show up among people experiencing long-term stress and tension. It involves irregular motor movement, symptoms that move from person to person, gradually, and often linger for weeks. Mass hysteria usually spreads verbally and visually. So, people who see or hear about someone with symptoms often begin experiencing symptoms themselves. Here are some examples of mass hysteria. Number one, the Tanzania laughing epidemic of 1962. In January of 1962, at an all-girls school in Shasha, Tanzania, three girls began to laugh uncontrollably. They couldn't stop, even when disciplined by their teachers. Bizarrely, the laughing kept spreading until roughly 90 students were laughing uncontrollably for no apparent reason. This lasted from a few hours to more than 15 days. Officials tried to find a cause, but were unsuccessful. The laughing caused them to close the school as the laughter spread to other villages nearby. The cause remained unknown, and the laughing episodes continued on and off for about a year. And then, 
the epidemic suddenly ceased. Number two, the Salem Witch Trials of 1692. This is one of the best known incidents of mass hysteria. It began when two small girls in the town of Salem Village began to experience seizures that were not explained by contemporary science. After their seizures, the girls proclaimed that they were being assaulted by evil entities conjured up by local women. Soon, more girls were being afflicted and more townspeople, mostly women, were being accused. Trials were promptly enacted and those who didn't confess were sentenced to death. Ironically, those who falsely confessed were not executed. More than 20 people were executed and more than 100 were jailed before common sense was restored. The girl's seizures ended and the trial ceased. Later, medical scientists would lay blame on everything from common stress caused by ongoing warfare with American Indians to fungus on bread products. Number three, the satanic panic. In the summer of 1991, the therapist of a three-year-old child being treated due to her parents' divorce alleged that Dan and Francis Keller had sexually abused her. Dan and Francis were operators of a daycare center. In the time leading up to the trial, two other children at the daycare began telling similar stories from being given blood-laced Kool-Aid to being forced to have taped sexual intercourse to being forced to watch and participate in ritualistic killings, including animals, humans, and even babies. The allegations got so out of hand that they even include trips to Mexico to be sexually abused by soldiers, all in time to be back to be picked up by their parents at the daycare that day. During the trial, one of the kids said, that none of this had taken place, and that they had been coached to make up the whole thing. There was no physical evidence in the whole case, and the Kellers were sentenced to 48 years each. The case was overturned in 2013, but only after they spent 21 years in prison, all from the false testimony of young children. But what about schools? Were there any incidents of mass hysteria at any African schools? Well, on February 4th, 2008, over 100 pupils went out of control in a primary school in western Uganda. According to the school head teacher, the students were totally mad, chasing everybody, including teachers and fellow pupils, throwing stones, banging on doors and windows. The authorities termed the incident as demonic attacks and invited a church leader to conduct several special prayers for the pupils. The head teacher admitted that this was the second attack of this nature on this school. In the previous year, 210 pupils had been similarly attacked. Following the episode, four suspects were charged in a court for casting a spell on the school due to a land dispute. So, was the aerial UFO sighting a case of mass hysteria? 
Or did the students actually see something that day? And what about other, the other 140 students? Or is there an alternative to these two options? There was some political unrest in the country at this time, and the United States was not happy with the current ruler of Zimbabwe. Is it possible that what the children saw that day was a highly advanced U.S. craft that was in the area? Maybe they were off course? There was a plane that can hover. There is a plane that can hover, and it makes a high-pitched sound. And one of the student witnesses said that they heard a sound like someone playing the flute. There's a lot of material out there on this incident, and in most cases where you have a lot of witnesses, at one point, someone comes forward and admits that it was all a hoax. None of the witnesses have done this. I believe the children saw something. That doesn't mean what they saw was a UFO and aliens that communicated with them telepathically, but I believe they saw something. I don't believe this is a case of mass hysteria. If it was, then Dr. Mack, who interviewed the children, would have picked up on that. He was a psychiatrist after all, but he was also involved in a lot of UFO abduction cases. So, grain of salt. I know this doesn't have anything to do with this case, but uh, regarding John Mack and Harvard, um, he was actually investigated uh, because he does a lot of, or did a lot of investigating with people who reported close encounter. Um, Harvard thought that was professionally irresponsible, so they were actually looking into him. And uh, I found interesting uh, on his death, he was in England and walking home from a late dinner with friends about 11.30 at night, he was struck and killed by a drunk driver. The driver was an IT manager. He was arrested at the scene and later entered a plea of guilty to careless driving under the influence of alcohol. And his Max family requested leniency for the driver in a letter to the Wood Green Crown Court. Although this was a tragic event for our family, we feel... The accused behavior was neither malicious nor intentional, and we have no ill will toward him since we learned of the circumstances of the collision. Uh, the driver was uh, served six months and disqualified for driving for three years. So what do you believe? Do some research. Watch some of the interviews on YouTube. Some of them are a little creepy. Believe none of what you hear and half of what you read. If you like the show, I would like to encourage you to help support the show. You can help me out with just $3 a month. Just go to the website and click on support. I would really appreciate the help and would be happy to give you a shout out. Do you have a UFO story you'd like to share? Is there a UFO story that you'd like for me to look into? Just send me an email at ufoandalienpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Rick Black and I'll talk to you next time.